think if you can get your stuff done, I want people to go home because I want people to have their own life. You know, I want them to go home and enjoy their evenings with their families and friends. And I want them to recharge the batteries and come in the following day and do the same again, rather than I've worked at some places where people sort of feels like a badge of honor. If you can stay until eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, you know, the latest person in the office gets brownie points. That doesn't happen here. You know, basically by six o'clock in the evening at Hill, I think everyone's gone. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today's guest is a business founder on a mission to create a business that he can be proud of. A business that does the right thing for the planet, for its staff, and also for its customers. After building and scaling a very successful company, he thought that there had to be more to business than just making money. Today, he is the CMO of Huel, a company that creates nutritious, convenient and affordable food. He has appeared on BBC News Live, Sky News and CNN Business and has been featured in Forbes, GQ, The Evening Standard, The Telegraph and many, many more. Welcome to the show, Julian Hearn. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for making time. I know you are. I've got a very busy schedule and yeah, really, really appreciate you coming on the show. I've really been looking forward to recording this episode as someone who has worked in the wellness industry for almost a decade and works at a fitness tech startup. I know we're going to have a lot to talk about. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Great. Well, let's get straight to it. So you started and scaled not one, but two very successful businesses. So I'd love to know, did you come from an entrepreneurial family? Is that always what you wanted to do? Or was this more of an unconscious chain of events that led you here? Um, I certainly didn't come from a a family of entrepreneurs. Um, I didn't know any entrepreneurs until I was probably about a year before I actually started my first business. So I was 30, 36, 37 when I started. And um, pre that, I didn't know any anything. My, my dad used to work in the shop. My mom was a, a waitress, so didn't know any entrepreneurs at all. Um, I did I did have a little flower store. I was about eight years old, like most kids do, sort of selling some of my mom's sort of leftover flowers. But apart from that, I had no entrepreneurial flair until, yeah, 36, 37 years old. So it really was just a, a needs must, really. I was working in London, but lived outside London and commuting long distances. And um, um, me and my wife were trying to have a baby and uh, we had a couple of miscarriages. I wanted to be at home with her. And so that was basically what prompted me to look into trying to find a, a local job so I could I could spend more time at home. And I lived out in Aylesbury in Buckinghamshire and there was no sort of jobs there that I could get that would match my salary. So I decided to do it myself, create my own job. Wow, brilliant. So yeah, I guess, you know, late, late 30s to take that kind of on and say, right, okay, I'm going to create something of my own. And I think, I don't know, I think the, the idea sometimes with entrepreneurship and, you know, we hear about these 30 under 30 lists and all of that. And I think sometimes people do maybe feel like it's they, they, they can't do it, you know, like it's too late, they, unless you're 25 and the next, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg, that it's too late. But clearly, you've had incredible success since then. Well, arguably, it's, e- it's easier. I think you should have a little bit more money behind you. Um, you should have more experience. 
Uh, you should have more contacts. So I think in some ways it's easier. I know I understand the sort of Silicon Valley idea of do it in your 20s before you've got commitments of kids and family. Um, and yes, you can put a lot of time in then because you've got no other commitments, but you don't have experience of working in business. You don't have you know, any money probably. So I'd been working in marketing for probably 15 years at some really good companies and learned from some really good people. So I had a lot more experience um, and I had enough money to sort of fund myself in the, in the early days. You know, I sort of saved up, put some money to one side and said to my work, wife that uh, I've got six months at this. If nothing comes out the back of it, if I can't match my salary, then I'll go back and get a real job. So mm-hmm. we saved up, put that money to one side and had that to support me during that six months of trying to get the business off the ground. Brilliant. So you had that six month timeline as well as like a, yeah, a kind of a goal to work towards and something that I, I suppose is measurable to to kind of not say, well, this has to succeed at all costs. I think that sometimes is what people maybe puts people off when it comes to the idea of taking such a big risk. But yeah, I guess managing it in that way of saying, you know what, it, just, just try it. And if in six months we have to do a U-turn, that's fine as well. Indeed. Um, but one thing was that I did, I did work uh, evenings and weekends for a year before I took that six months. And um, I think, you know, instead of going in just as a cold start, which I think some people might do, they might go, right, I'm just going to jack my job and try and start. It, it, you know, the first few months or the first year of any business can be quite slow. So I put in evenings and weekends for a good year to really sort of learn learn what I was going to do when I did finally take the plunge. And I think that, that uh, time and effort pre-taking the plunge was vitally important i think it got me up to speed got me to have more confidence in what i was going to do i started making a little bit of money on the side so i think that sort of uh, uh side gig as some people would call it would be uh, a wise move for anybody to do because if you if you can't make any money in that sort of year evenings or weekends then maybe taking the plunge is the wrong thing to do so i'm you know they sort of say entrepreneurs are quite risky people i think i'm very risk adverse i want to make sure i don't make a mistake i didn't i didn't want to risk my house didn't want to risk my you know my family life so i made sure that i was pretty confident when i did jack that job in that that six months i would be able to make a success of it and actually within three months of um of jacking my job i was up to the same level as my salary Mm, wow that's really interesting I love that and also a year you know working evenings and weekends when you have a full-time job a couple of things I was thinking when you were talking one is that people often say to me oh Adrian I don't have time I don't have time you know if I'm working and and other commitments then I don't have time but the reality is you know you working full-time and then doing evenings and weekends on top and then secondly I think I really liked what you said about you know you're not actually you are risk averse uh, in a way and you wanted to have this kind of measured approach because i think it's a very irresponsible message as you we discussed right with the silicon valley the kind of entrepreneur this this message that's very irresponsible that often is like you know what if you're not happy in this like build it yourself you know quit your job tomorrow and yeah pack a bag and st- start from scratch and actually it's not realistic for a lot of people to do that yeah there's definitely a, a fail culture out there i think americans are much more brave than what we are probably english people and they sort of talk about you know just going for it and if you fail so what well i didn't want to fail that was for sure and um you know that, that i had to have that confidence because you know i suppose if you're if you're jacking the job in you might not be able to get a job in six months time especially in this climate so you want to be very very confident in what you're doing and i think that that sort of work even as weekends you know yeah you know people say they don't have a lot of time you, you can make the time if you really choose to and I think when you're doing it for yourself, there is, um, I'm not saying it doesn't feel like work. Sometimes it was a grind, but when you're doing things for yourself, it's not the same as working for somebody else. And you, you can get excited as well. You know, you're doing, you're spending that time in the evening and you think you can, you can see progress. You can see you're going somewhere. So it can be pretty motivating as well. And, uh, 
you know, it wasn't really, really hard, hard graft. I mean, I was coming home from work, say six o'clock, having my, my mm. evening meal and then sitting down at seven o'clock in the evening. But I was sat in the lounge with my, with my wife. The TV was on in the background, spending a lot of time on the computer, just working sometimes to 11 o'clock. But I was still able to chat to her sometimes. You know, it wasn't really hard, hard graft, but it was, you know, you had to put the hours in. You know, it was vital that I put those hours in over that year before, before I jacked the job. Right. And so growing your own business has many elements, you know, leadership. We discussed risk a little bit, potential criticism. There's, you know, there's a lot of highs and lows. So what would you say has been the key to your success when it comes to leading a company that is growing so quickly? Um, I think we started really well on the, on the right, you know, because the business before, um, I probably was very, very scrappy with it and didn't know what, what was the right things to do. So this time around with Hugh, I said I wanted to set it up right from the start. So I spent a lot of time on thinking about what the name was going to be, what the visual identity was going to be, the, the strategy, the brand, how it's going to feel. I did a lot of pre-work in trying to get all those things right uh, and tried to do them because I think if you can do things right first time, then they will stick forever. You know, some people choose a company name and change it three months down the line or their, their logo keeps changing and that can be confusing for your customers. So I wanted to do everything right from, from the start. So even the board, we set up a board. I got in touch with one of the guys who helped me sell my previous business and I set up a board from a very, very early stage, which for startups is pretty unusual. But I think those sorts of things really put us in good stead for the future growth. So um, another thing we do here as well, we try to write things down and sort of codify everything from very, very early stages. When you do things, you do it right first time and you codify it, you write it down exactly how it was done and how you should do it in the future. And in quite often we use a sort of phrase saying, look, if you get run over by a bus, would anybody be able to do this? It was all in your head. So if you can get it down paper and do it right, get a strategy, you get the principles, you get those things and then everything flows out of that. So we've just literally just doing some work at the moment on some nutritional stuff. And again, same sort of logic that we just write these things down get it right. And then um, it, it's clear. It's not somebody's judgment. It's not somebody's personal preference. It's, it's logical. And I think those things really make a difference in the long run. So we've made a lot of correct decisions throughout um, the, the, the lifetime of fuel. And I think it's all come from those sorts of basic principles, doing things from a logical point of view. Yeah. So what does that what does that look like? So if someone's just starting and, you know, they have this idea or a product or a brand and, and they kind of, they've thought about where they want to position it and, you know, the brand identity, the visual identity, the logo, all those kind of things. But what does that process look like? As you described then, it's not about opinion and someone saying, well, I think that the market wants this, or I think that this will be, how do you, I guess, even start to codify that and get the right insights to be able to make those correct decisions? Um, I think one really important factor I would advise anybody if they're going to start a business is, is probably be your own customer. I think if you're your own customer, it makes your life so much more easy rather than trying to guess what a different target market would want. If you're your own customer, you can basically satisfy your own need. If you satisfy your own need, as long as you're not completely, you know, uh, a weird, uh, abnormal person, you should be able to uh, have other people in the world that are similar to you. You know, I thought when I first launched Sure, I thought there must be at least a thousand people in the country that are like me. And uh, if I can make myself really happy with this product, then those other thousand people should like this product. Uh, if a thousand people are spending £45 a month, uh, that's £45,000 um uh, per month and that would be six hundred thousand pounds a year roughly so it's a good lifestyle business and that's that's the basic principle i started with try and make you know a very small niche that is like yourself really happy um and then it will scale from there if there's more people similar to what what your needs are but most people's you know if you found a problem in life you know he always come out of a, a principle of trying to get nutritionally 
complete food in a very convenient format. That's the problem that really, if you think about it, everybody struggles with. So even though it's quite a novel product and quite an unusual concept when we first launched, you know, we've now got millions of customers. So it's sort of, it, it, you know, every niche is, is much bigger than what you think it is, as long as it's not completely, you know, really, really left field. You know, as long as it's uh, got some sort of basic principles there, that, you know, we're all humans ultimately, and we've all got similar needs. So as long as you satisfy one of those needs, there should be a big enough market for you. Yeah, I've heard Tim Ferriss talk about that too. He talks about, I think one of the things he started was exactly that. He said, I wanted this, I created it for myself. And I knew that if it was going to yeah, scratch the itch for me, then other people would also want that as well. So I guess just trusting in that and knowing that, yeah, unless, as you said, it's a really, really abstract thing, then yeah, maybe starting with yourself and your first, your first, 10 customers or your first 100 or 1000 and going from there. But but let's talk about about Huel. So for anyone listening who doesn't know Huel, you know, it's been described as the future of food. And it seems to me, as I mentioned in my intro, you know, you really care about ticking every box when it comes to providing, you know, the nutrition, convenience, it's affordable, but also it's good for us and good for the planet. So, you know, there's a lot of things there to think about. I think it's very difficult for a lot of brands to, to do that. So how and why did you start Huel? It started out of a, um, another company. So I sold my first company back in 2010, I think it was, and uh, took a little bit of time out and then realized I wanted to add itchy feet, wanted to start another business. I thought, what am I interested? I thought I've always been interested in sort of health and fitness. And I thought the one thing that sort of frustrated me at the time is that there's so much um, misinformation on the internet, people saying you should eat this food and somebody else saying, no, it's completely wrong. Somebody say you should do this type of exercise program. Somebody else said, this is completely wrong. So I thought, I know, instead of sort of just like reading, I will uh, put people through different exercise programs, different meal plans, uh, take weekly photographs and take weekly measurements. And so it'd be very evidence-based and then the best sort of um, meal plans and exercise programs would float to the top. Um, So I was a guinea pig for for that business and uh, there was five other people did it with me and in that three months i ate a very strict meal plan of it was three meals a day and three snacks a day but it was very regimented uh no alcohol i weighed every piece of food that i ate so i knew exactly how many calories i was consuming it's 2000 on a uh, non-training day and 2200 on a, on a training day and over a three-month period i went down from 21 percent body fat down to 11 percent body fat and uh the interesting part was I was doing no extra exercise that I normally did. I did three hours a week and I'd done three hours a week for the previous 10 years, for example. So it's very clear that what you ate is uh, what you are really. Um, and, uh, you know, so that we, we, we launched that, that company um, and people started buying the programs and we got quite an initial bit of traction, but then it died away quite quickly. And then when I sort of started speaking to customers, what the problem was, they said that, um, they want the they want the results they can see the results work they can see the meal plans work and they can see the exercise program works. they said the main problem was you know typically this was the things i was saying they said i'm a working guy i can't stop at 11 o'clock and cook an egg and 100 grams of broccoli i can't stop at one o'clock and cook 200 grams of turkey and some uh, quinoa and some broccoli and some baby spinach you said i can't i can't do that um, in a working environment i need something more convenient and so uh, i sort of thought about it and i thought yeah they've got a point you know, I was not working at the time, so it was easier for me. And uh, the afternoon snack that I had was a protein, um, a protein shake. 
and some rice cakes and uh, realized that obviously the protein shake was probably the most convenient meal of the day. So, but it was only protein alone and you can't live off protein. So why couldn't I just put all the essential nutrients into a concept or into um, a format like a protein shake? And that was basically the starting point of fuel. So the more I thought about it, the more I thought that that product would have legs. And so I moved away from the, the previous company um, and started thinking more and more. I couldn't get you know, this concept out of my head. And that was basically the birth of fuel. I see. So there was that testing and then that adjustment and I guess, yeah, listening and feedback and learning and not just kind of saying, well, I've just, this is what I'm, this is what it is. I'm just going to stick to that no matter what. I think the ability to, to adapt and to, yeah, I guess change and go with it. Cause I think sometimes people can be really attached to their idea or, or, yeah. or their, you know what I mean? It's like, that's their thing. They've worked on it. They want to almost convince others and convince themselves and it, it has to succeed when actually I think being able to, yeah, take that on board and, and adapt obviously for you, that was the, that was the, what needed to happen for it to be so successful and also I guess when when you were describing then you know you said you were very regimented and you know you, you stuck to it every day and I think for a lot of people as I said I've worked in the fitness and wellness space for almost 10 years and I hear people's complaints I hear people's frustrations and I think as you said, you know, exercise, nutrition, they go hand in hand, but I think people also want to live. They want it, it has to be convenient because people have busy lives. They have, you know, commitments. They have kids. They might have busy jobs. They don't have necessarily hours and hours to, to prep these things, to spend time. And they want to live and they want to have, you know, not for you said it was regimented and I think that put some people off because they're like, I don't have the discipline to to do this myself. So I guess with Huel, is some of that taken away for them because it's kind of already created? Yeah, it definitely it definitely makes life a lot easier. And um, the interesting thing about um, being regimented is that it might be a sort of shock to the system to start with. But once you once you know in that three month period, sort of towards the end of it, in the last sort of month or two, it became like clockwork for me. It became very easy because I knew exactly what I was going to do. There was no sort of thought. I didn't have to think. Well, what what do I need to go out and buy for shopping today? I had all the shopping bought. I had all everything ready. So it was very. It became very easy. Uh, same thing with fuel. You know, once you've got that, uh, you got it into a, um, a habit, into a routine, it becomes very easy. You just, um, you know, you know what you're doing, and you, you just, you just crack on. And your point earlier was quite interesting about um, saying about yeah, knowing when to give up. So yeah, I did sort of give up on that previous company, and uh, you know, obviously, hear advice: never give up, never give up. And I sort of, you've got to get, you've got to have a little bit of both. You've got to be very stubborn. Started any business and keeping going. So to get fuel off the ground took a good eighteen months. I ne- nearly gave up a few times. You have to be incredibly stubborn sometimes, but yeah, I gave up at the last company. So I just felt that it was ne- it was it was just pushing water uphill. It's just going to be too hard. It's just the feedback I got from customers was this is too hard. This is too hard. I can't do it. I can't do it. So I gave up on that one, um, and then started Huel, and then ne- nearly gave up on that one because it was so hard to 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 get through get the product actually made. Dealing with manufacturers is incredibly difficult but didn't give up on that one and kept on going. So I just felt there was something stronger there. So I never get, gave up. So you've got to get that balance right. I've never given up, but then also given up fast sometimes. Yeah, knowing when to start, knowing when to stop, and knowing when to carry on, I guess, is absolutely critical. So you had that feeling that, you know what, I need to persevere. You knew that it could could be a success. And so, the you know, the wellness world, the nutrition world, it, it the market is so noisy. It continues to boom. It continues to grow. But it does feel like sometimes like the Wild West. You know, there's all these different products coming and they all have different claims and different things. And sometimes it can be just, yeah, a little bit overwhelming as to kind of how you could even create something and, and get a little piece of the pie and get your your business or your brand in there so for anyone listening who might be keen to start their own wellness product or brand what would you say are the key things that they need to identify and get right from the start 
well, I think you need to start from first principles. With nutrition, I think nutrition is, is very well understood from a science point of view, but there's lots and lots of fads that you hear appear and they just sort of spring up and they're hot for a certain period of time mm. and then they die away again. So be very careful of jumping on the latest bandwagon or whatever is the latest sort of fad because if they're not backed by science and they're not provable by science, then they probably will die away. People will eventually go, this this doesn't has, has no scientific backing. So, and this is where, you know, fuel is very strong. You know, we are based on all of the nutritional profiles that are based in the particular countries, which are based on, you know, thousands of inputs from doctors and uh, scientists and nutritionists and dietitians. So it's, it's backed by science. And I think that is going to be longstanding. You know, the nutritional profile for the UK came out in 1991. and hasn't really changed a great deal since then. You know, it is, it's known. Whereas, you know, the latest, whatever it is, latest herb that's promising the world, that might just die away very, very quickly. So, um, yeah, you have to be very careful of jumping on a bandwagon. And I would, I would stick to what is proven, proved by science today and, and start from first principles. And then the key thing you need to do then is just understand, solve a problem, number one, and then make customers happy, number two. So if you identify what that problem is, give the best solution you can in a, in a hopefully a novel way that is different from somebody else, and then just think about all the other aspects to it because there's more than just producing the product itself. So we focus very heavily on customer service, for example, make sure when somebody buys a food product, in theory, they could they use that same product for the rest of their lives. So make sure they get very good customer service, they may come back. Uh, you need to think very strongly about your brand. I think brand, you know, I think Steve Jobs says people buy brands, not products. Mm -hmm. So um, brand is super, super important. If you think about a product like Red Bull, I know it's not a nutritional product, but just think about it from a perspective of there's lots and lots of alternatives to Red Bull in every supermarket you go into, but Red Bull sell, outsells them massively. Even those alternatives might be cheaper and a lot bigger because they want to buy brands. So just think very strongly about how you create a strong brand, what that brand is, what the name of that brand, how that looks, how, it's, uh, how it feels to the customer, how it's advertised. All those aspects are super, super important. Um, but yeah, get your product right, solve a problem and make customers happy. Brilliant. And do you think people need to consider the competition? So when they look at what their product is, do they need to look left, look right, look at the competition, look at what they're doing, look at their kind of approach, their branding, their strategy? Or do you think it's better to, because we don't, you know, nothing lives in isolation, does it? So did you do that? Do you think it's valuable for people to do that? Um, <laughs> it's a tricky one. Um, I think there is definitely some value in ensuring that you've got a, a gap in the market or of some sort of novel approach. So if you are, you know, producing a product which is identical to a competitor's, um, that would be a mistake. So you want to find something that's got slight um, twist somehow on some other competitors. So probably pre-launch, you might want to look at competitors. But I think once you've launched, no, I, I'm not a fan of looking at what competitors are doing. So th sometimes they might be making wrong decisions. And if you sort of think, oh, they've done this, I need to do that. And they've made the wrong decisions. You've now made the wrong decision. So um, we talk internally at Huel about customer and product obsession. So if you listen to your customers, what they want, they're the ones who are going to buy your product. Your competitor's not going to buy your product. So why do something your competitor's doing? Um, so I tend not to look at what competitors are doing. I think it's uh, it can be distracting, can be misleading. Uh, actually, a competitor copied our product, copied Huel, and um, they copied it exactly and we know that that product doesn't sell very well. So even if you do something that somebody else does, um, it doesn't mean it's going to sell because you've got a different audience. 
the brand is not the same. You can't copy exactly. You might be able to copy the ingredients, but you wouldn't be able to copy everything exactly. So you've, you've got to go down your own path and that will create your own audience. That will create a better brand. If you're doing something that competitors are doing, then you're never going to, you know, you're never going to be seen as having your own identity. So I think it's way better just to listen to your customers. And that's one of the beauties of being direct to consumer. We speak to our customers thousands of times a day. We got lots and lots of feedback and we can speak to, you know, we send out surveys all the time. We speak to our customers a lot. We speak to them on the telephone, speak to them on chat. We speak to them all over the shop. So we get so much information back and that is all the information I need. That's so much input. I don't need any more information from what competitors do. We get so much from our own customers. Mm. Uh, we've got so much feedback from, you know, can you please change this? Could you add this feature? We've got so many uh, requests that we don't have time to look at the competitors, I would say. Right, brilliant. And I guess, you know, we have to talk about this year, you know, how that's impacted the way that everyone does business and, and maybe the way that you do business, because it seems that now more than ever, people really do care about their health. I mean, we're living through a pandemic of an influenza virus. So, you know, if you're not caring, if you're not thinking about your health right now, then you never will. But I think everything from, you know, exercise, meditation, food, mindfulness, sleep, we want to ultimately protect ourselves protect our families we want what's best for you know our, our parents our grandparents our, our kids so do you think that there's an opportunity maybe right now and even a responsibility for businesses in the wellness industry to help people to understand to educate them and to take care of bet and to take better care of themselves and to prioritize their health I think it's, uh, of course, I think uh, th this pandemic has, has really brought it home to people that your 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 health is super important. And if you are fit and healthy, you you can hopefully uh, have a better chance of fighting off something uh, that is could be deadly to other people who are not so healthy. So it's a, it's a very strange time. It's a very sad time for some people. Um, but yeah, there's definitely lots of opportunity there. I think some things that have come out of this is certain vitamin minerals are even more important than we even thought they were before. So yeah, get the right nutrition, get the right amount of sleep, do the right amount of exercise. In terms of how companies can help with that, you know, it's education is always um, uh, difficult if the if if the audience don't are not listening so much. So I think now people are, will be listening a lot more. And therefore, um, I think people are seeking out solutions to this. How do I boost my immune system? How do I make myself healthier? How do I get the right exercise? You know, what is the right nutrition to eat? Hopefully they're coming to companies now. And that's one thing we've tried to do on this, your website. We provide lots of free information where people can read. It's not like we're just trying to sell your products. We provide lots of information about nutrition, about how to, how to uh, achieve your goals. And, um, you know, we're very transparent with all the information. I think the more companies can do that in terms of their, you know, information being transparent, explain what, uh, the, what role each um, micro, macronutrient does. I think that's beneficial for everybody because I think this time is, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a crazy time. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that um, the wellness industry can do, the better really, because it seems to be that if you are fit and healthy, you can save lives for sure. Yeah, and you're yeah. When I went onto the website, and also when I was researching you for this show, yeah, the amount of transparency on on the site it, it's rare to see that. And I think that now customers, especially you know the young generation with with purchase power, they really do care about what companies are doing. They want to know about their sustainability. They want to know about the ingredients and how things are sourced and how yeah how the how the employees are treated. Like you know, I think the, the 
back in the day, you know, you would never be able to go onto a company's website and find out those kind of things. But yeah, I was really, as you say, there's so much information on your on the Huel site. So I encourage the listeners to go and check that out because it's fascinating. And there's also a lot of stuff on there from you about, you know, productivity and about your approach to, to life and to business, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you on the show. And I know you're a busy guy. And I read in an article that you, I think you said that there's standing desks because for your meetings, you don't want to waste time. So I guess if people are sitting down, sipping a coffee, getting comfortable, then the meeting can just drag on unnecessarily. And, you know, it, we want to be productive. We want to get the most out of our day. So when it comes to productivity, what other hacks do you have? Ooh, um, well, I, I totally agree with what you've just said. I think that speed in, in general can win in most situations. So anything we can do here to speed things up, I think is 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 vitally important. Um, so stand-up meetings, I was actually interested in my listening to a podcast. I think Elon Musk has his calendar set by five-minute intervals. So wow. I think you have five. <laughs> I think here we tried to do it like 25 minutes is a, a quick meeting. I think lots of you know calendars, they're set up to do one-hour meetings. I think most meetings don't need to take an hour. I think you can get them done quicker. Um, I think there's a lot of chit-chat sometimes. So I was very interested to see he does this in five minutes. I'm not quite, I'm not quite at that level yet. But yeah, in general, try and get things done as quickly as possible. And um, so we're, we're quite, uh, what other hacks have we got? I think we we try to um, do minimal viable product, product approach in the very early days of a product. So I think you can spend way too much time developing a product and uh, before you get it to market and you realize then it's wrong. That's a waste of time. So I think we try to do things really quite scrappy in the, in the first instance. We're now at a size now, but it's more tricky for us to do. But I think trying to do things very sort of scrappy, just getting a just getting a concept, just getting a, a prototype um, out of the door quickly is really, really important because then you can get feedback from the real customers. Yeah. Um, I think other things that we we probably do here is that um, again, even with presentations, you know, we want presentations to look good, but we still make them as quick and um, dirty if necessary. Just get stuff done really quickly. We have, you know, we have constant uh, stand up meetings. We have, you know, discussions. We've got Slack in the house that we've spent lots of time saved on. Me personally, um, I I don't know what my main hacks would be. It's interesting what you said about the five, I mean, the five minute meeting that kind of that feels kind of stressful in a way, because it's like, right, you've got five minutes, go. But yeah. I actually I think someone else I heard, I think it was Oprah Winfrey, uh, before her meetings, or at the start of the meeting, should I say, if it's 25 minutes, then she kind of just says from the start, what is the objective of this meeting? What do we want to get out of this? Let's go as opposed to the first five minutes being like, how are you doing? How yeah. was your day? Chat, chat, chat. And, yeah. and again, I think, I don't know, I think there's, it's great efficiency and, and being productive and kind of yeah not wasting time with with just i don't know unnecessarily when you can just kind of get in let's get to we know what we need to get on with and let's get on with it sometimes you know you can have a meeting that you think actually that could have been an email you know you didn't even need to have the meeting but i also think sometimes on the flip side of that it's like we need time i guess this year especially it's been difficult for people if you're not in offices if you're not in teams if you're working remotely and you're on you know video screens all day it's like it can be hard to foster creativity and to explore ideas because you're just yeah in this is the thing out so yeah how do you counter that with kind of exploration of new ideas and new concepts and giving things time yeah that's interesting yeah we we definitely definitely i think we're very good at new ideas we just launched a brand new product which is a hot and savory product which came from customer feedback uh, that's something that's been in, in the process of being 
made for the last year. So I think we're very good at launching new products. This is the first time a product like that's actually come to market. We launched our Black Edition powder, which again was based on customer feedback back in the last year. So we can get products out the door pretty good. I think we're moving fast. You know, we're growing very fast. We've just finished our year at 72 million the year before. It was at 50 million. So we're growing incredibly fast. So I think we do things really fast. And so I don't think speed necessarily loses any creativity. I think mm. there's a real, you know, when people are in the office or when people on, you know, Slack and when people on Zoom, we still got a lot of energy in the company. I think we've, we move very, very quickly. So I'm not sure speed necessarily loses uh, creativity. One thing we try to do here is I tell people to go home on time. So I think speed allows you to do that. So rather than having a drawn out meeting where you're doing your sort of chit chatting, like you said, I think if you can get your stuff done, I want people to go home because I want people to have their own life. You know, I want them to go home and enjoy their evenings with their families and friends. And I want them to recharge the batteries and come in the following day and do the same again, rather than I've worked at some places where people sort of feels like a, um, a badge of honor. If you can stay until eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, you know, the latest person in the office gets brownie points. Yep. That doesn't happen here. You know, basically by six o'clock in the evening at Hure, I think it, everyone's gone. That's brilliant. That sounds great. Yeah, I've got friends who work in PR and I don't know if it's just their company, but it definitely feels like that. They are just slaves to their desk and it's late night and it's they'll go home and carry on working till one or two in the morning. And yeah, it kind of feels like that's just what's expected and it's the norm. And if you're not doing that, then it's questioned, you know, well, how, how committed are you to this? And how much do you, you know, care about the, the project we're working on if you're not willing to do that? But it's not, yeah, I d definitely don't think that it's uh, sustainable. I don't think it's enjoyable. So yeah, I guess if you can and speed up, be more efficient, get out the door and just say, go home. And, and yeah. that, that's great. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So I want to talk to you about the Power Hour. The Power Hour concept leads on perfectly to, I guess, you know, the routine of your day. So for me, the power hour is the first hour of my day. It's all about getting up and having an intentional time, which is carved out, cultivated. It's just for me before my work, emails, kids, everything, before everything starts, I give myself this hour and it's been, yeah, it's been a game changer. It's literally changed so many things in my life. I've been doing it now for three, three, maybe four years. So I'd love to know from you, Julian, if you have a power hour, what time do you get up in the morning and what's the first hour of your day like? I usually get up about seven o'clock. It, it does depend because um, over the last sort of couple of years in particular, I sort of I probably did burn myself out after about the first three years of fuel. I probably I got I got diagnosed with chronic fatigue. Um, I'd really sort of stressed myself out too much because I was doing crazy crazy hours, and I think you have to. I think um, you know I'm not I'm not uh, going to sugarcoat it. I think when you're starting a business, you do need to put a lot of effort in. I think a, a business is like a I think it has different life stages, same, same to a baby. You know, first few years of uh, life of a company, your company could live or die if you don't, you don't feed that baby effectively. And I think he all got to sort of toddler stage 
probably sort of young child stage now, possibly early teen stage. So now it's a little bit more sort of self-sufficient. It can sort of, it can look after itself and we've got 120 people now. So I think in, in those days I was doing too many hours, getting up early, staying up really late, doing loads and loads of time. Whereas now um, I, I, I try to monitor my sleep. I use one of these aura rings and um, try to make sure that I get good quality sleep because I think in, you know, we're arguably in a marathon mode rather than the sprint mode now. So my, my get up time does vary um, depending on what time I do go to bed. Um, So I try to get, you know, that sort of eight hours sleep, that sort of magical eight hours. And, but on a normal night, probably get up at seven, Mm -hmm. um, shower, breakfast, which is usually a fuel, obviously. Um, and typically just get straight to work if I can get in the car because I want to start early. I think there's time in the office where it's quieter, there's less distractions. I can um, I can get some important stuff done before sometimes other people come in. And um, But then on other days, I might not um, get up until 9 o'clock and I come to work at 10 o'clock and then stay a little bit later. So I do move it around the first hour and it does depend on pretty much the night before because I'm trying to get that 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 sleep in to ensure that I can uh, um, I can last the marathon rather than uh, burn myself out again yeah and I, yeah I talk a lot on the show about sleep and the importance of sleep and prioritizing sleep just because I'm an early bird I think sometimes people mistake that with thinking that I yeah I'm encouraging people to forego sleep which is certainly not the case and and you're right sleep's incredibly important and also I really like that analogy of the you know the the baby part of the company requires a lot more time, energy, focus, attention. Because I'm hearing, you know, a lot of people when I was describing before about this idea of, you know, start your own company, be an entrepreneur, you know, like you can do it, which is great. But I also think in the same, on the same hymn sheet people are also saying you know find balance you shouldn't be overworked and stressed out and you've got to have you know find this balance in your life and as you described I think the seasons and there's a time and now you might have the luxury of saying oh I can get up at seven or maybe I can get up at eight but I think the reality is that you couldn't do that from day one and say oh you know what I want to build something but I also want to have balance and, and downtime and relax and watch tv and because yeah would you agree that as now you've kind of earned the luxury to be able to do that? Yeah, I, I think I totally agree. I think, unfortunately, there's no way around it. I think, you know, to get a business off the ground, there is a lot of heavy lifting to do to get, you know, even when we get new products off the ground now with this size, it's still heavy lifting. In the early days, I think you have to become obsessed. This might not be um, the right thing that people want to hear, but I think you have to do that. And sometimes there can be a, a negative effect on your health. There can be a negative effect on relationships. But I think that... Um, the early days of any company, if it's going to be successful, probably needs a lot of extra hours beyond the norm. So if you think you're going to do a nine to five and sit and watch TV all evening or go to the pub and stuff like that, I think that may be unrealistic. Mm. Some people may be able to do it. I've not been able to do it. I've started three businesses um, and you would, you can probably say that, that two of them have been successful, the other one wasn't. Out of those two that are successful, the first two years, yeah, you're doing absolutely crazy hours. You're basically doing seven days a week. You're basically doing evenings and weekends. Um, and yeah, there is there is a toll to be paid, but you've got to remind yourself that it's not forever. So if you can crack on for, say, two years or possibly three years and really get something you know, successful moving, then you can chill out a little bit after that. And you know, of your total lifespan, that's, say, two years or three years of... Uh, hopefully 60 70 year old life Mm. it's not a massive proportion of your life but it can really make a a massive difference to where you end up in life 
rather than sort of ticking along just doing your nine to five if you really want to do it then there is a massive potential upside so i think it's worth that sort of two years three years of of real heavy duty grind um obsession never think you know you get out the shower you're thinking about it you're thinking about it in the evenings you're working evenings you're working weekends you've got to do some serious hours to get it done um but the benefits are outweigh that um that extra effort i think absolutely and you said it might not be what people want to hear but i think it is what people want to hear i think people want to hear the truth they want you know to have the real expectation and to not just see oh this person the company's worth this much and they've built this and they've done that and you know i think that's what we we see is the highlight reel and we see the successes and as you mentioned then you said i've had one business that wasn't successful there's also failures and i think people want to i certainly always want to know the reality to have that expectation and i think you know you described that it's it's worth it you're putting in this this extra effort this extra time this hard graft essentially but it's never ever wasted so yeah and, and speaking of extra time my closing question that i ask to every guest on this show is all about that so if you had an extra hour every single day if you had 25 hours now what would you use your extra hour each day to do well um i think i do enough work nowadays i think i'm pretty effective at work uh, I probably exercise enough. I've got a PT now, luckily enough to say I've got, and I do three hours a week, so I probably do enough there. Um, I think I'd probably spend it with friends and family. I think that's probably the the time that I probably don't do enough of at the moment. Um, sometimes, if they were available, do they get 25 hours as well? I don't know if they got the spare <laughs> hour, but if it probably would be friends and family. Um, you know, they're probably the, some of the best you know, times if you think about it, you look back on life, they're the times you probably appreciate the most. So probably if I had an extra hour, I'd do that. Yeah, absolutely. And especially after this year, I think people really, you know, not being able when those restrictions are there and you're not able to see friends and family and the people that you want to see, even just in the same room or around the same table. So yeah, I think that's a really nice way to spend the extra hour. Thank you so much, Julian. And where can, if people want to hear more from you, they want to find out more about Huel, where can they find that? Uh, Huel's very simple. We're on all social channels and Huel.com as well. Uh, me, I'm uh, I'm not very active really on social. I am on uh, LinkedIn. You can contact me or Instagram or just Julian Hearn. You can find me pretty easy. Just type my name in. You should be able to find us on Google. Pretty simple. Um, you know, if you, anybody wants to contact me, please do. Uh, just Julian at Huel.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Julian. I've really, really enjoyed this episode and I hope that the listeners have too. So if you've enjoyed this, let us know, get in touch, make sure you rate and review all that good stuff on iTunes and Spotify as well. Have an awesome, awesome week. Thanks so much for listening. See ya. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.